0: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest We Are Guernsey webinar, Distributing Private Funds, our final funds related virtual event of 2020. It was indeed another event we were hoping to be holding in London earlier this year, but like everyone else, we've had to adapt. So, thank you very much for joining us online. Today, we'll be talking about the whys and wherefores of fund distribution, specifically distributing private funds, top tips and traps to avoid to ensure managers can reach the global investors they are seeking to reach. And I hope the next hour or so. They will bring you a first-hand appreciation of you know, those cost-effective confi- cost con- distribution directly three professionals with greater expertise than I myself in this sector. It gives me great pleasure to, in that vein to introduce them to you now in no particular order. First up we have Simon Beck, a co-founder and investment committee member of Portland Capital. Simon has 20 years of TMT investing as well as leadership roles in capital markets and financing, transaction execution and port- portfolio support. Prior to co-founding Corton Capital, Simon was a partner at Warburg Pincus, a leading or world-leading private equity firm, as we all know. There, he was involved in structuring, execution, and value realisation of more than 20 billion of investments across its European portfolio, and was a senior member of the TMT team. Good afternoon to you, Simon. He served as CEO of its European business, was a board director of Safety Clean and Mercator, and played a lead portfolio support with several Warburg Pincus portfolio companies, also worked Apex Partners in London and Time Warner in New York. My apologies, Simon. I, I thought I'd done the an Amazing uh, resume you have there, and so glad for you to join us this afternoon. Uh, and Leith Leith Mowgli, uh, partner at uh, Pragios and Roses Private Funds Group, based in London. He advises global and European fund sponsors, financial institutions. On the formation of their investment vehicles across a broad range of strategies and asset classes a particular emphasis on private equity uh, venture capital infrastructure natural resources energy secondary and debt funds he also counsels fund managers on their carried interest co-investment and other incentive arrangements Including leverage co investments and separate account management arrangements. Lath has also considerable experience guiding new sponsors on the creation of first time funds, spin outs, and providing advice on a broad range of complex international private equity transactions, including cornerstone fund investments, JVs, secondary portfolio acquisitions, synthetic secondaries, management company restructuring, and other general corporate matters. And last but not least, we have Wilf Wilkinson, who is managing partner at Canthus, a leading European private. Replacement agent, focusing on raising distinctive European mid-market private equity funds. At Acanthus, Wilf advises general partners, limited partners, and financial institutions from the, both the UK, the US, and continental Europe, and Asia in funding section, structuring placement strategy and investor relations. So three uh, amazing resumes there, chaps. We'll kick off in just a moment, but just a bit of information for our, uh, our, our viewers, as it were, um, just so you know about some of the features on this webinar platform we have, and you can submit questions using the widget uh, for our live Q&A. The widget is that little box there towards the end of the section. Uh, We'll try and get around to answering as many of these as we can during the session. Um, The other way you can get involved is on Twitter via our handle at WeAreGuernsey. Some of our industry literature is available to download on the widgets on the screen, and if you keep on the line on the slides below, uh, you'll see a few of the core uh, propositions of Guernsey when it comes to our fund sector. Uh, In actual fact. This, this seminar was originally going to be in London at the 8 Club, uh, and it lent itself to that very to, to that private audience um, environment. And my job was to effectively to, to just be an MC of affairs and to do a bit of a, a short message from our sponsors, aka Guernsey, you know, and I would have you know, st- stood at the front talking about some of our core propositions at this point, uh, reminding people that we're a leading centre uh, in, in the funds industry, uh, a centre of global funds administration, private equity leaders. I'd have talked to you about our you know, um, uh, st- uh, sterling uh, substance uh, uh, and our reputational um, uh, uh, attributes uh, and on all sorts of things amazing about Guernsey. So that would have been my job, and I'd have been coming to, you as I am now, to uh, speak to uh, the, the three luminaries I have with me um, this afternoon. Uh, and it is with uh, great uh, pleasure to uh, to come to them now. We're going to have a conversation, Chaps, are we, about you know, distributing? Private funds, the, the pitfalls, the whys, and the wherefores. But Simon, if I may just like, take a little bit of a step back and it, excuse the sort of the loaded questions, it were, but it's always nice to start with a nice underarm question uh, to begin with to, to set us off in the conversation. May I ask you just to, just to talk a little bit for a moment about Corporate Capital and, and why you chose to, to launch in Guernsey?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, by way of background, CoolTim, we founded it at the back end of 2018. And as uh, Andy said, it was a group of um, people who came from a mixture of Robert Pincus, where I was a partner for 10 years, along with my colleague, Joe Schull, uh, together with two operating indus- operators from industry um, who are my co founders and-, and partners, Don Robert and Andy Sukawati. Um, And the the strategy is quite simple. We are investing in uh, business-to-business software services and data companies. Uh, We are doing it with an intention to build better, more valuable businesses during our period of ownership, and we think that uh, marrying together this investing track record with an operating track record is the best way to do that uh, consistently. there's a kind of handful i mean there 's a handful of features of what we 're doing that did guide and influence where we thought about jurisdiction how we thought about jurisdiction for the fund. Um, Well, first of all, in terms of investing, we're very international in outlook, so we have a mandate to invest across Europe and into North America, where there is a strong uh, European expansion uh, angle to the investment. So we could could and do look at uh, opportunities all all across uh, Europe and North America. The investment uh, approach is is to be very concentrated, so we want to dedicate our resources in a concentrated way, which means ending up with somewhere between two and four investments in the fund that may be built up over time through a buy and build, but um, ultimately we would expect to have just two to four platforms in the fund, so quite unusually concentrated. Strategy. And then we, we also have uh, a, a, an international investor base, but quite a strong skew towards uh, US investors. And, and the majority of our capital comes from major US university endowments, uh, charitable institutions. Institutions and, and family offices. So, with, with that in mind, we we reviewed uh, as we were setting up the fund a number of different jurisdictions. Um, we landed on Guernsey, I think, driven by a number of factors. I mean, one is the legal and regulatory framework um, we needed to be satisfied uh, both for ourselves and importantly for our investors that we were going to operate in a place where we were comfortable that uh, there were strong legal re- regulatory protections both for us and and for our investors um, that there was transparency and a high degree of ethical standards in the market and so uh, you know that was a kind of uh, an absolute must in terms of thinking about where we uh, where we would base ourselves. There were tax considerations uh, in terms of thinking about both um, the the capital that came in from the general partner and our our team uh, as well as where the money was coming in from the limited partner group uh, and in particular we had some remittance considerations which uh, drove us to, to thinking about a non UK jurisdictions um, and uh, and then so finally we wanted to make sure that there was a really good set of service Uh, providers Um, and in in that we spent a considerable amount of time evaluating uh, the the people and uh, in in market Um, certainly English language was helpful from our perspective but also the the high quality set of providers that exist in Guernsey um, was an important uh, consideration.
0: So thank you, Simon, for that. That's quite a a fulsome answer. And Wilf, if I may, uh, are they the typical sort of factors that you consider that managers will be looked for in terms of when they're looking to domicile funds? And if I may, a two-part question here. Do we see any distinction in difference between investments in different parts of the globe? Uh, Simon mentioned the US there, in the UK is there. Is there any idiosyncrasies or heterogeneities there? Sure. Look, I think actually, you know, first,
2: first and foremost, uh, as Simon uh, mentioned right up front, the, the, the single, uh, you know, most important thing is is for um, the domiciliation uh, of of the fund to be as simple uh, as, but as robust and as um, sort of universally appealing uh, to uh, the investors um so you know in, in terms of um in, in terms of guernsey you know it, it's it, it's 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 a jurisdiction that is that is sort of globally recognized as as being very user friendly um on the one hand but also um you know being robust and uh, and and and, um, you know, and, and, and well serviced from a um, from a regulatory and, and legal perspective. Um, so you, you know, I think also recent you know clarifications and developments such as you know since two thousand nineteen being 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 whitelisted by the OECD and the EU um, has been very helpful. I think before that. Instinctively, um, even though, though there was no legal or regulatory basis for this, you know, Guernsey would be seen as somewhere that would be kind of easy for anglo i.e. sort of UK and US, but that somehow it was less sort of EU-friendly. The, the, the actual legal and regulatory basis for that is is, is non-existent, um, and and actually. I think something that we've seen recently is, is that it uh, you know, has established itself as being pretty universally, you know, simple and, 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 and robust. Um, I think the other. Thing that I would say about Guernsey is that you know, not that this is necessarily the first sort of consideration, but in a world where you know, increasing regulatory um, you know and, and other demands on on managers you know does build up. Cost. Uh, We Mm -hmm. like to kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, recommend Guernsey to our clients as somewhere that, from a sort of service provider cost. uh, uh, is 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 transparent and fair and and and, and you know good value for money and, and I do think that that that, that is important and, and there are other jurisdictions which are sort of famously uh, you know tricky in terms of uh, in terms of you know getting fair and, uh, and 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 you know fairly priced and and, and high quality um, service. That's broadly my my thoughts on the matter.
0: Well, thanks. thank you for saying. That. Good of you to say that. And that, I think personally, that cost consideration—you're absolutely right. I've come across it where, actually, if you uh, look east and look west, uh, you know, you'll find that as a jurisdiction, the services provided from Guernsey are cost competitive to, uh, to most jurisdictions. Can I ask you a quick question before I come to Laith about that? In terms of LPs, there, is there a transparency of the pricing you see there? I have heard that often the the, the the transparency, the pricing passed to LPs is, is often missed. Do you think? Um, LPS are made aware of the issue it's, it's a key factor for them when they come to considering um, you know a, a choice as it were
2: uh, well um, no I don't think it is a key consideration but um, i think you know i mean generally speaking you know we're seeing an increased demand for for, for cost transparency throughout the industry
1: um
0: mm.
2: uh you know it's i i don't i, yeah, I don't yeah i don't think the fact that it's um
0: no, no uh, that's true
2: yeah
1: no go on sorry uh Andy. I, I would say i mean in, sorry i was just gonna, i was going to say andy of course we're, we're also investors in our own funds and mm. paying shares of the costs as well so i i think i think wolf's right it's not something that we ever heard particularly from our, our lps but they do to an extent look to the fact that, that we are sharing in those Costs, as well as a sort of guide, that we're being sensible in evaluating it, and certainly I, I, I found that the sort of costs reasonable. I mean, the other kind of costs are somewhat more hidden costs. So, I mean, one of the things, you know, bluntly, as a to London-based manager, the um, or, or advisor, the ability to manage the costs of maintaining Guernsey substance requirements mm. are are. are not unreasonable and perfectly feasible, given it's it's close. There's flights there's, and, um, and and you can access good local non-executive directorship to to support in some of the substance requirements as well.
0: Oh, good point. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's, it's useful for us to, you know, to understand those issues, because that cost transparency uh, Point Wealth Avenue um, you know, absolutely nail on the button there. And it's something that we've encountered and, you know, been mulling across an island for some time. But coming down to you, late, so if you, you know is that uh, that sense uh, of what Simon and Wealth have said in terms of, you know, do you concur? And again, it's a two-part uh, question, as it were. In terms of from a structuring perspective, and I, you know, I, if I was in London, I'd probably be saying the simplicity of Guernsey's regime, the authorised registered private fund. It's you know, it's always been a sell. The simplicity of the regime, but for private managers, from your perspective, what are those issues in terms of structuring that are you know the key that need to be encompassed, um, you know, and, and incorporated into in terms of market, from your perspective. <laughs> Yeah. Look. So, I mean,
3: I think I'm in I'm in violent agreement with um, you know both of the chaps. Look, I think I mean just to address Guernsey uh, broadly for for a minute. I think that you know the beauty of Guernsey is you know as the guy said, it's a it's a it's a global you know financial centre with you know a great deal of history. And I think perhaps uniquely for Guernsey, it's a, an industry that has grown up around, or I say it's a jurisdiction that has grown up around the closed-ended fund mm. industry. So. So what you find when you go to De- Guernsey is that the, the regulatory regimes, the fund structures, and the fund products available are highly bespoke, um, and, and you know very capable of addressing the varying needs of you know of different you know of different managers, you know from the sort of first time funds right through to the you know to the to the to the, to the big you know the big asset managers of this world. Um, so it's you know the, the familiarity and the robustness of the regulatory framework is key. But what Guernsey I think offers is the ability to to to, to be very targeted and tailored in um, you know in and what in in what you put in place there. Um, you know it's you don't have to take the one size fits all approach. You can actually go uh, get exactly what you need. And and importantly, the service providers are highly highly specialized highly sophisticated and you know why do we go to these global financial centers in the first place it's because actually really it's it's you know it's easier to get what you need done in in these places and having that um, you know having that infrastructure around you is, is fairly critical
0: and you and you mentioned first-time managers lately is, is there a, is there a different uh, different perspective from different managers first-time middle-tier larger or you know um, Ooh, and what are those differences, if there are?
3: I mean, there, there, are, there are always differences. I think. I mean, the the, the first thing I noticed when a when a first time fund manager comes comes to me is that you know. <laughs> and I think Wolf and Simon will both attest to this, undertaking a fundraising for the first time is, its you know, it's a, a gargantuan undertaking. Um, you know, it's often a year of or more of somebody's life flying around the world. And so often, the, 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 the you know, the real focus is on simplicity, speed. I don't want you know, I don't want the complexity. I don't want to have to think about another uh, sort of host, of host of challenges. And, you know, often people come with preconceptions as to where their fund needs to be. Um, you know, so I, I guess the first thing I do is challenge. I, I, you know, I tend to challenge my clients saying, hey, "Look, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Um, and what's the best, you know, the best jurisdiction to, to achieve that?
0: I'd say, Simon, it, it, in terms of challenges, did you, did you experience that when you, when, you, when you went through your process?
1: Well, I, think, I mean, Lee's point that keeping uh, c- keeping this as simple as possible when there's an awful lot of other things going on at the mm-hmm. same time is definitely worthwhile. So, the, you know the fact that a lot of other managers have uh, set themselves up in Guernsey and have got quite well developed frameworks and you've got a regulator that's used to dealing with it and advisors that have done it multiple times before uh, is, is really helpful because you, you, you are uh, and, and on the uh, and in addition you see that LPs then are familiar with Guernsey and how Guernsey works so you're just taking some friction out by going down a well-trotten path in that regard and so if it it works why not use it and I certainly found that uh, to be the case and it makes the the sort of structuring sides the tax considerations and the regulatory considerations all an awful lot simpler if you're doing something that other people have Done before in a framework that works well and and works well for the kind of investing you're 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 doing. So I'm definitely a proponent for keeping things simple when other things are complicated.
0: And Will, sorry, do you mind me just jumping across and sort of saying, in terms of from your perspective, in terms of placing, you know, how how important is that proven uh, proven path? Yeah,
2: look, it's 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 uh, it's it's. It's uh, it's it's very important. I mean, the, you know, the fact that you're uh, marketing something that's uh, you know that's very familiar, that's that's it's well established from a from a structural perspective. I mean, you know, when, when you're marketing something, ideally, the aim is to have as little questioning or. Hmm. Issues as possible relating to, you know, structure, domiciliation, etc. And, and you know, and, and our experience is that when you just have a, you know, simple. Uh, recognized guernsey structure it um you know it's sort of you, you get very little sort of questioning because it's familiar it's it's well understood it's it's well regarded addressing a specific thing that you know a topic that's been that, that, that's been coming up a little bit in the in in, in the q a's is the question around um obviously highly topical um brexit um, and, and and I mean obviously none of us actually know yet amazingly what Brexit means uh because it hasn't yet been decided um, but, but one of the advantages actually is is that is that you know obviously Guernsey is is not part of the EU um, and actually Brexit will make no difference uh to how um, uh you know to how it um, you, you know, to how Guernsey funds market across across the EU it will continue to be, as it always has been, or as it as it has been for you know recently, based on you know um, uh, national uh, private placement regimes. Um, mm. And 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 I'd say that currently, actually, you know, in in the context of of uh, you know of seeking. Um, you know certainty and and and, um, uh, you know, and and stability in terms of how things are done now versus how they may be done in as little as as two months' time um you know nothing will nothing will change vis-à-vis how Guernsey um, you know operates uh, you know, how you market a Guernsey fund within the eu um, but um um, I don't know if he no, I mean, has, has anything to add on on, on specifically yeah. the, the, the point of of Brexit as I see it comes up uh, in the in, in the Q and A
3: yeah and it's an interesting one because i mean amazingly you know a couple of months out we still don't have absolute clarity on 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 you know on the the, the european marketing position uh in a couple of months time look but i i completely agree with will for the time being at least the the private uh, placement regime which is the, the regulatory regime that you would market under if you were a guernsey fund will will remain uh for, for for some time to come and you know there 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 was historically some uh discussion of that option being turned off uh, at some point in time and replaced by another regime and you know i mean what i say to, to, to my clients is that you know guernsey is a, a third country to, to to europe as as is the u.s and the thought of closing access to, to 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 u.s private equity funds or or funds generally i mean is just you know it's just uh, you know it's just ludicrous so you know i think that will continue i think we'll continue to see uh, the, the the rules the Coming clearer and evolving, and you know I think Guernsey is an incredibly strong position, and, and, and actually as a, as a as a UK lawyer, um, at, at some point we will become a competitor to Guernsey, and unfortunately Guernsey are are light years ahead of us.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's very kind of you to say, Leith. I mean, to your point, Will, you are, you know, in terms of the, the private placement, to you doing our job for us. But, you know, uh, the, our private placement, we haven't had to uh, paper, repaper the MOUs with the, uh, the various regulators on the continent. Similarly, uh, our route into the UK remains the same. Obviously, we haven't had to go through and do mm. that. So we've got a proven route both ways I'm breaking a, a, a wave here um, but to, to come back to sort of the actual distribution aside, and I'll, I'll come back to this uh, European point in a minute if I may but on the distributional point are there any sort of pitfalls um, it, that you can see w- with regards to brexit that um, perhaps we would be you know y- y- you're safeguarding against by uh, sort of the, the, the tried and proven over the next six months
3: I mean, in, in, in terms of pitfalls i mean look i i think everybody's thinking very carefully about the brexit situation and what we've seen over the last three years uh is that very few people are setting up their um you know their funds in in, in the in the uk that that haven't done so historically uh and the reason for that is you know that your route to to, 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 to distributing your your fund across europe is is twofold either you you're a uh, a full scope EU uh, domiciled um, manager, and you rely on the the, the the marketing passport, or you're a third country and, and you market to Europeans uh, using the national private placement regime. So I think a lot of the the, the you know the, the pitfalls have already been considered. Uh, ironically, today because of the, uh, the where we are in terms of Brexit negotiations, we have not yet implemented a. a um, a, uh, a, a, an MOU, a, a memorandum of understanding with, the, with, with with Europe, as Guernsey and others have, that would let us um, market from the UK on a private placement basis. So, so I mean, so I mean, that's the major pitfall. So. If you are thinking of setting up and you're a UK sponsor and the base assumption was we want to keep things cheap and easy and keep everything in the UK, you'll quickly find, unless something changes and I very much hope it will do, um, you'll quickly find yourself running into regulatory problems in being able to to distribute that product.
0: Absolutely, I appreciate you making the point. Again, i have just to come to, to from this. And Simon, my apologies, I'll bring, bring you in momentarily. Um, we were having a discussion at lunchtime here on the island and talking about the way that different uh, pools of uh, international investors might be uh, realigning post-Brexit. Um, but in terms of to, to, to stick to the European regime itself, but presently with the, there's the AIFMD review, we've seen the, we've all got the six or seven different dossiers. Do you have any concerns about the... the the European regime just be getting very, very, very complex and you see a bit more of a bifurcation with regards to Anglo-Saxon capital and European capital? Uh, <laughs> not,
2: I wouldn't say that, that I mean ultimately the, you know, the, the way that I see it is, is, is fundamentally there is appetite from both Europe and the US for um, you know for high-quality private equity funds with sensible strategies. That's the first the first mm-hmm. thing. And I, I think you know the the, the issue of, 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 of jurisdiction and and, and and whether you know it affects the commercial decision by investors to back a strategy you know we, we we don't really see that we see, you know we, we see that ultimately you know, yes, marketing in, in in Europe is 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 increasingly complex, and, and there are multiple regulatory pitfalls, and you need you know a um, you know, a, a, a good commercial and 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 sensible lawyer, you know, like Lee, to, to to help you navigate it. Um, but but what we find is is that honestly, you know. Uh, the the um, we don't, we don't find we, we it's it's very 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 rare that we find that um, you know interest or, or or commercial decisions around investments are driven by you know domiciliation or or, uh, you know or or legal structure we we, we see you know obviously some uh, um, some structures are are much easier to kind of um, you know are are easier for for different groups of investors but, but, but generally where there's the will to invest you know investors are willing to find a solution
0: yeah, I mean, I appreciate that point, I'll move on to that topic now, Billy. Again, it came to conversations we had in preparation for this call. It's sort of saying that you know, at the end of the day, you'll you'll have European investors investing in the Channel Island structure, and there are no particular issues with it. Your point being broadly, what's driving the, uh, the, the 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 LPS at the end of the day is the investment narrative and the strength of the of the proposition primarily, and we're talking about secondary factors. So, Simon, yeah. if I may come back to you, apologies. For that, so we sort of drill down a bit of, a bit of granularity there, but we are about talking about distribution of private funds. We are talking about the issue you know, effectively about fundraising against coming back to someone who's done it, who's done it successfully. Uh, obviously, you exceeded your target when you uh, were there in June. How do you think um, that environment, for particularly for first-time managers, uh, is at the moment? Have you got any, have you got any advice for pr- prospective uh, first-time managers?
1: Um... <laughs> Well, the, I mean, the first thing to say is, uh, although we closed in June, we had really broken the back of all of the fundraising activity prior to the uh, COVID pandemic, and that clearly has in itself presented a whole sort of set of issues and uh, practicalities that, that thankfully we didn't have to uh, deal with uh, at the time. So if you like, my, my experiences are relevant to a sort of pre-pandemic world, and I'd imagine Wilf and Leith can speak more eloquently to how things have changed in the current environment. I mean the one obvious at it, affects is travel, which was a very significant part of uh, our, our fundraising. But I think just in terms of the things that uh, perhaps are useful to think of as a first time manager, I, I, mean, I, I wrote this down before re- realizing it was a bit flattering to my fellow corporate, genuinely having a good placement agent and good lawyers can make a massive difference and I think, um, you know, the full disclosure was our our placement agent on our our fund and he did did a great job for us. I think, you know, in prepping us for the process, in helping us formulate uh, and present the message and then most importantly, I think you alluded to it earlier, Andy, these are very time consuming processes. You put a lot of effort in, a considerable amount of expense at, at risk. And the biggest problem with them is when you waste your time visiting people, or traveling, or trying to sell something to someone that's got neither the ability nor the interest to invest in, is, is, a, total waste of, uh, is a total waste of time. But one of the things I think that a good advisor or placement agent can do is is really improve your uh, your hit rate, um, and that, that transforms your ability to get it done and get it done at a, in a reasonable uh, period of time. So, first off, gonna, and then first off, pick a good placement agent in terms of lawyers, as I've alluded to before. Um, you know, doing something with experienced people that can deal with all of the. Uh, the things that come up from the investor side during the process of, of documenting and closing the, the fund just makes life an awful lot easier at the point when if you're a first time fund, you're, you're creating a company, you're setting up your team, you're beginning to try and invest. There's a lot going on, so have, put, put good people around you. Um, uh, as I said, prepare for it to take some time. Um, I think the thing that probably we were most uh, naive to, although you hear other people say it, is is how long it takes to actually convert, uh, convert and complete a fundraise. There's relatively little time impetus in a normal circumstance for help you know, to make a commitment and our experience generally was without that impetus people people take their time and so i think kind of good good tips uh some of which we were able to uh to sort of benefit from uh others uh, others you know we weren't in a position to but i mean If you can create some kind of uh, incentive or momentum to try and get the the fund over the line that can be very helpful. So for example, have a a deal uh, that you want to do. Uh, People will come faster if there's an immediate opportunity to put cash in, have a really good anchor investor in place that other people will look to as a guide uh, and a sort of um, uh, token or indication of, of quality, uh, we, and also if you do manage to get a handful of good investors in early, that can act as a real uh, momentum builder, as people might begin to be concerned that the fund will close uh, close without them uh, having reached its cap. So. I think there's, uh, I mean, there's a handful of things to do there to try and keep momentum behind something that otherwise has strangely a kind of lack of momentum to it. Um, I think make sure you tell your story well and clearly. Um, I think that, that uh, you know, Wolf and the team helped us prepare. That I mean, the one thing I'd say is, you know, you you need to to hone that, and there's probably merit in uh, trying your pitch out on people that yeah. uh, on people that aren't super you know are massively important to a fundraiser earlier on so so pick some nice to have rather than must-have investors to practice your uh, pitch with Um, and then I think the the final thing is make sure your track record supports the strategy you're trying to execute so uh, I mean it's probably pretty obvious that it's hard for people to back you to do something that uh, you haven't you aren't able to demonstrate you can do and your track record's very important, and getting that lined up and well communicated early is is important. And there are some legal and confidentiality challenges. Often, if you're coming from another firm, to ensure that you can share the information that you need to share on that, so it's worth prepping that in advance. That I mean, World probably got a, a broader a broader set of views on. Right?
0: Well, I was about to turn to Wilf as one of those uh, trusted and expert advisors, uh, and so I mean, genuinely, you know, when we were putting together the panel for this, you know, it, it plays, the views of a placement agent for were genuinely key, uh, and, you know, the, the, the light is on you here, Wilf. Have you got anything to add to that? Look,
2: I think, um, you know, Simon outlines the most important things. You know, first and foremost, I mean, we spend a huge amount of time, probably more than 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 many um, upfront before you know I mean a lot of the most important work of of, of preparing Mm -hmm. for a fundraiser is done before you've even spoken to to an investor. Um, You really have to kind of challenge the proposition from all angles, Um, and I I guess I'm focusing on 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 more the context of raising something new because. Bringing, um, you know, it's a very different job raising a new proposition than it is, um, you know, raising a, uh, you know, the the fifth fund generation of uh, Mm. of 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 an established, uh, you know, um, uh, private equity, you know, multi-generational private equity fund program. Um, uh, But um, you know, we we, will will genuinely hesitate about um, working with a new first-time fund where we don't believe that the proposition which is being uh, presented is genuinely, has, has a claim to genuinely be unique and presents a genuinely unique risk-return profile to investors because there is so much existing you know potential stock of investable private equity funds that if you're not um, you know coming to the market with a genuinely distinctive and um, and, and different proposition then then then, then you 're very unlikely to raise successfully so spending the time up front to ensure that what you are you know, proposing to the investor community is something genuinely uh, unique is um, is 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 vital um yeah and then and then i'd say you know in, in you know do the you know, get the, um, the the kind of boring and, 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 and um, you know, but important stuff, um, you, you know, done and and, um, and 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 in good shape, so that you know, once you do have the interest from investors, uh, you're able to, to to move extremely quickly. So that's you know, um, getting uh, you know, getting the 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 you know, really good administrator ready to go. You know, get, getting all of the kind of regulatory approvals lined up, uh, so that you know, the worst thing that could happen is is if you you know begin to get an in, you know tentative interest from from LPs, but then you know you get caught flat-footed and you're not able to kind of sprint to to convert. Um, so those are a couple of things I'd add.
0: Okay, yeah. That point on uniqueness, I'm just going to bring in Laith here, and then I want to come back to you, Will, about talking about trends, recent developments in the moment. But Leith, on that uniqueness, and it came from the Q&A from the panel talking about, we talked about simplicity of structures and proven routes and stuff like that. Does that preclude, uh, uh, in terms of that, 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 that proven sort of structuring, uh, Will talks about uniqueness, how much of a factor is the ability to sort of bring in some more um, sort of sophisticated type structuring, you know, in terms of, in terms of relative... Um, sort of weightings, as it were, or is, it, um, is is it not a factor?
3: Yeah, no, it it, 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 it is a factor, I guess. I mean, just picking up some buzzwords from you know from Simon and Wilf I mean you know Simon said look you know given all the stuff that we need to think about and need to do we don't want to waste our time you know um you know getting you know getting that momentum you know Wilf said you know not missing the you know the sprint finish you know all really critical and so from a from a structuring perspective and when you're thinking about these things you know people will say look you know I need I need the benefit of the European marketing passport hmm. um, and then you know we speak to the placement agent we speak to the sponsor and we say look you know we're, there are these realistically we think there are you know five key investors or we're going to have five key investors do we really want to waste all our time doing a market you know blanket marketing approach across across the EU. So, I mean, just to kind of, you know, to reiterate Simon and Will's point, you know, the, the planning stage, you know, even down to look who are the investors that we want to target, where are they based, you know, and therefore what kind of regulatory framework do we need to be operating, operating under are all pretty fundamental fundamental discussions that have have to happen earlier on and you know to the extent you don't need a marketing passport and you don't need to go through the the rigor and the and the sort of the, the administrative burden you know that's that's fairly that's fairly critical so again i just wanted to, to flag that so it's it's figuring out what exactly you need and you know what is the the most efficient efficient way but i mean, in terms of, sort of answering your question directly simon i mean look the the, the reason that we we that I personally enjoy working in Guernsey so much is the sophistication of the the advisor community, the the approachability of the regulator, and the fact that you can very easily put in, you know, highly bespoke, complex structures that the regulator not only will sign off on, but it will understand intimately because it has a history of doing so. So, I mean, critical critical um again i don't want to to, you know to to pick jurisdictions but for for me the beauty of you know the anglo-saxon regime the the anglo-saxon legal regimes that we that we see is that they're incredibly familiar to me they're incredibly familiar to my u.s colleagues so operating in guernsey feels like operating at home whereas Historically, operating in certain Euro- European jurisdictions that are civil law countries, the, the, the legal framework is just, just entirely different. It's, you know, it's apples and oranges. So, you know, it has, to a degree, been the path of least resistance going to Guernsey because it's so familiar to you know a significant body of the you know, the, the, the global investment management community.
0: And again, Leith, appreciate you saying that and uh, I think I'll get shot by my Guernsey colleagues if I didn't flag about the, you know, my little contribution about the myth of the European passport. They go back to the days when it was reviewed that only 3% of European aids were distributed in more than three member states. Uh, and there was a reason for that, uh, you know, as much as cost, about the, each European regulator decided to add its, two, uh, get its pound of flesh uh, while, while it was in the process and you find that in terms of distribution, uh, once you've done the UK, the Nordics and Germany and the Netherlands, uh, uh, you're about 99 uh, percent of investors investing into european acts more or less but anyway that's that aside If I would, so appreciate you making those points and again it's almost it, it's really uh it's a, it's a really pleasurable webinar to be hosting today actually clearly speaking amongst friends i know we're all friends who are going to hear but um so it, it's really um, quite a nice s- simple afternoon for me but if i may move away from simplicity and Wilf, if i may remember when we first spoke about uh, doing this webinar you talked about trends uh, and you said, actually, do you know what, I could, I could have a whole webinar on my, on my own talking about the, the latest developments in the industry. Yeah. So, and, unfortunately for you, we're only going to have a few minutes uh, to be able to, sure. to do this topic justice. But talking about pre data, and I've seen recently show that there are fewer funds this year. They're up on average in terms of size and close. You know, is, is there anything more that you can maybe share from, from what you're seeing, you know, closer to the market? Yeah. and um, no. yourself, Obviously. So, I mean, in
2: terms of overall amount of capital that has gone into the asset class, um, you know, it's, it, it's pretty much, you know, it looks preliminary numbers that, that 2020 will be um, equivalent with with 2019. But like you say, it's likely to be in a fewer number of funds. And, and so what we have seen is that the way that um, that the market has been busying itself um, over this environment is re-ups, you know. so we, as we find ourselves at the end of twenty twenty, at the you know the last say you know two three years, have been incredibly busy in terms of deal activity, in terms of putting money to work, uh, and so you know a lot of. You know, a lot of well-established managers have been using the current COVID time to raise successor funds. And actually, an increasing trend that we've seen is that the proportion of, um, uh, you know, the, um, the percentage amount of um, the of your prior fund having to be invested. Uh, or drawn before you begin to raise the successor fund um, seems to be getting lower and lower and a lot of people are doing you know so-called dry closes um, in order to kind of have the successor funds uh, in place you know ready in the draw um, to to come live um, so the, the vast majority of of, of you know uh, you know, from Q2 onwards in 2020, has been uh, re-ups of generally fairly well-established managers. I think in a period of heightened risk, um, mm-hmm. you see a lot of um, uh, you know you see you know capital working its way towards you know uh, you know t- towards brand names and towards. Um, uh, you know, uh, managers that are considered safe pairs of hands. 2020 um, has been a very challenging year for new managers um, because I think, in you know, uh, I, I, if, if we're thinking about the ways in which, you know, COVID changes the way we do things, specifically for fundraising, I actually, you know, I do think that for well established, well known, Managers, you know, with multi generational fund propositions. uh, you know their eyes have sort of been open to the ability to raise funds through uh, you know virtual DD um, however, for me what 's been affirmed by the current environment is that for raising new um, uh, uh, new propositions, nothing um, can um, replace face-to-face meetings Um, and so i think that you know the the vaccine and and you know being able to return to business travel um will will be will be critical to um you know a number of of um you know of 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 individuals or teams that are considering raising their first private equity fund um you know i think returning to travel will be will be will be critical to being able to raise successfully Um,
0: yeah. So, I mean, not to put words into your mouth, but to paraphrase, you've sort of seen a polarisation of conditions for different sorts of investors, uh, 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 for managers, you know, proven track record versus startup new, and therefore you're suggesting that the actual physical. Uh, approach it will be will be different for those different types of, of managers. And, it's a, it's a, and then to throw that over to Simon and, and later if they've got views on this post COVID fundraise. And I see we've got a question I'll bring in in a minute about uh, uh, the utilisation of technology. But do you see that 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 the whole model changing post COVID, or is that just something that will be a? A blip, uh, and people will just you know, <coughs> we'll, we'll look back on history uh, about oh we all thought things were going to change, but no, they didn't. So I probably should pick there. Somebody just go first. Uh, Simon, you've leaned forward, so I'll uh, I'll look to uh, you.
1: Well,
3: uh, yeah,
1: okay. I mean, one observation I would make is just in conversations with our own investors, um, they, they've also made the same observation that Wilf has, which is that backing a first-time manager when you can't and haven't met them in person is a hard thing to do um, I think people have learned to do a lot of things during COVID through Zoom but it strikes me that yeah as we look at investments in companies we find the idea of Backing a company without having met the managers in person—a hard thing to do. I think people look at hiring, as particularly important roles, as a hard thing to do without uh, physical interactions. I think people are pre-programmed to that, and it certainly seems like there's a number of um, uh, LPs that also see that as a hard, uh, see it as a hard thing to back a first-time manager without having met them uh, in person, and that probably then lends itself rather more to backing managers that they've backed before where you don't need to do that um, what i would i mean I certainly said hope hope I mean one of the things that struck me during fundraising is that the the environmental footprint of uh, fundraising is not not good in terms of the number of flights that you take around the place to secure your uh, your money and one of the things I would hope at least is that some of the follow-up uh, meetings um, that, that you need to do as part of a fundraising should should be able to uh, flip and move to, to Zoom a little bit more effectively than perhaps they, they had in the past.
3: Yeah, no. and I I I I couldn't agree couldn't agree more. At the end of the day, you know, private equity it's a, it's a, it's a people business where you know investing in people. There are key men, and we place an incredible amount of importance on them. And and it's only natural, and it's human nature really that we'll we'll want to meet in person. So look, hopefully going forward, as Simon said, there you know there's more of a role to play for virtual. But I I you know I don't think we're going to see a fundamental shift in in behaviour. And and you know and just on that point, I'd say you know. What we have seen over probably the last two years is is a lot of sort of platforms, marketing platforms, coming online, and you know from a legal perspective they've been very difficult to to implement. Um, And you know, by and large, I don't think they've changed the you know the the the, the landscape at all. Uh, I'll be interested in in Will's thoughts on you know some of these sort of broad reach uh, platforms that you might have come across.
2: Yeah. Look, we. we um, you know, I mean, regu- you know, regulatory challenges aside, um, you know, going back to a point that Simon originally made, I think being targeted in a fundraising strategy is 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 um, is very important, um, and and these platforms slightly kind of. Uh, um, uh, you know, by their by by definition, are are, are very untargeted and and, and broad. And, and I mean, our view is that is that you know you in in you know by its nature, fund it's very hard to build momentum, build competitive tension in a fundraising because you're basically you know trying to fill a bucket rather you know and and um so uh, anything the, the way that you build tension is by is by being targeted and by creating a feeling of of exclusivity and of immediacy and of and a focus. And, and, and our view is that is that these platforms undermine that. And, and, and um, but again, you know, it's horses for courses. There may well be certain uh, you know products or or, or things which are um, uh, uh, you know which are. Um, uh, you know, which are suitable for these for these sort of mass platforms.
0: Uh, and and Leth, I mean, if I were talking about the platforms, but you know, we were actually getting there via via COVID. Um, we were talking about how this might change and such. And you were talking earlier about the ability to um, you know, to speak to the regulator in Guernsey uh, 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 somebody you know that's sophisticated and, under- and understood what was going what was going on. But can I ask all, all three of you? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a shameless plug here, but you can appreciate. I've just I've been out and about all day. I've been out for lunch. So we're fortuitous it's very difficult to get this, this this tone right in terms of being in jurisdiction we're, we haven't had social distancing for a while now but it has led to conversations we've had with with, with practitioners across the world about the, the resilience as an issue about the, the ability to continue operating during a crisis uh, is fundamentally key and if we're talking about things that COVID has changed how important is res, resilience as an issue uh, you know, yeah. You Has know, is, is it, is it risen to the top, or is it still a, a middle-ranking factor? Sorry, Les. I was, look, I was looking to you there. Sorry. Yeah, no,
3: I, I think. I mean, from my own experience, one of the things that that, that was very apparent is that we t- literally turned into an online organisation overnight in in Mm. in march and you know if you'd asked me if that was possible uh a year ago i would say of course not and uh, you know incredible so uh, you know the resilience is, is there i think i think people will 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 evolve and move to to you know to address the challenges but yeah i mean resilience is is, is, is critical but i 've got no sort of you know no concerns if it, if it 's something different next time and you know a different set of challenges I think you know we you know one thing that the the industry does is adapt incredibly quickly.
0: Yeah I mean that's the uh, nature of the financial services business in general but also you know fundraising and um, fund manager in particular. Listen I mean it's been, a, it's been an amazing conversation and we haven't even got time we haven't actually covered what people would have probably accused me that know me of uh, one of my favourite topics which is ESG. There is time for just one quick question on that I know we, took, we discussed it before but in terms of LP appetite uh, you know we've, we've talked about COVID this year we've talked about sustainability there's, there's been the whole um, sort of you know the, the David, as Prince Charles' agenda throughout the course of the year, in London Green Horizons summit uh, just two weeks ago, and we saw the Chancellor uh, the other day. In terms of LPs' concerns, well, you know, if I may, you know, come to you first, uh, and then Simon, you know, how how big an issue is concerns for investing in a sort of a socially good way? Uh, you know, in terms of that, as part of that investment narrative, and as part of their concerns, they, uh, in terms of the balance, just a 30-second response. Sure. Look,
2: we've seen it come. Uh, rather than it being an item on the agenda um what lps are looking for is for you know environmental social um you know uh, issues to, to actually be weaved into everything that a manager does in terms of investing, in terms of uh, you know diligence, in terms of portfolio management, in terms of you know its own hiring and and, and treatment of staff. Um, you know, it's it's you know five years ago ESG was you know a, a kind of. Appendix of a Ddq. Now it's 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 it, 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 you see it right right through a Ddq and 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 like I say is really weaved into to everything that that, 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 that a manager does and I, I think you know it's it's um it's no longer something that's optional it's, it's 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 something that that is that is that is critical. Um, hmm.
0: I saw you nodding there, Leith. Is that?
3: Yeah, um, you know, it's it's the price of a seat at the table. You know, it's it's the it's the it's the baseline. Um, you know, I think that's how far we've come. You know, I think people, you know, perhaps say it's a uh, you know box-ticking exercise. I think you know it's, it's it's taken for granted that it needs to be there in order, you know, for everything else to 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 function.
2: I think also rather than seeing it as an obligation, what LPs and managers alike are seeing is that actually ESG does add value. Your company, your firm, your investment decisions are all enriched by um, a thorough and integrated ESG approach.
0: Hmm. Simon, any any last word?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I, I think we we see it kind of clearly with our own investors that that they also have pressure from their stakeholders. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, investing on behalf of pension funds or uh, university endowments or um, charities, they they clearly have uh, their own investors and stakeholders. Taking an interest and and seeing that this is one of the ways, uh, or an important way, in fact, to propagate the ESG compliance and behaviour throughout the economy. And uh, if you you, they are at the kind of top of the tree, if you like, and they have an important role in pushing this out and throughout the economy.
0: Okay. Well, listen, gents. We're out of time. It just remains for me to, to thank all three of you for what has been a fascinating hour for me. Uh, hopefully, it was for our viewers too. Uh, apologies to Ian for my rustling of my own notes. So, just to show you that I'm reading the QA, my apologies, Ian. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a great conversation. That was a conversation in terms of distributing private funds. It, it, it was a shame we weren't there at the Eight a- club uh, you know, having that conversation because we would be going off now for a few drinks and, uh, and, and more besides. But it really was the sort of the masterclass in explaining some of the issues that we'd, we'd hoped it would be. Um, for me, the real takeaway was the fact that, you know, the whole complexity of the issue in terms of just the, the, the generalities but also the specificities of this year, that, the, you know, for, for, for raising funds and distributing, private funds you know the proven path to market being fundamental and fundamental and key and guys you did a great job Uh, you did my job for me in terms of you know extorting the virtues of my home jurisdiction here in guernsey you know and and lending ourselves to our proven market access the simplicity of our funds regime you know and and the fact that we're a leading center of substance and sustainability so no further ado thank you all very much Uh, it was a great uh, great afternoon session before we sign off uh, just in addition to thanking our panelists thank my colleagues and the team at Guernsey Fans for putting this event together. And to all of those of you who tuned in, sorry we didn't answer all the questions that we we, we got to. I see that Joe's question there. I wasn't technically sure if I knew the answer to it. So uh, there you go. If we'd like to take a moment to appreciate if you can sign in and fill in our survey uh, it's important for us to get feedback and understand how we can improve things for you going forward. We hope to return to more normalcy as the American allies say in 2021. Um, we have one more event, online event, to come before the end of the year. Uh, for those of you interested in pensions, that's another pensions roadshow. Uh, our BD director will be hosting a webinar. Uh, in fact, actually, I think it will be me on the 2nd of December. Actually, covering governance, regulation, and pensions products in the ESG. Um, and so, thank you all very much. Uh, it has been a great uh, afternoon. And uh, just remains to be saying, um, Have a good afternoon, chaps, uh, and have a good Christmas if I don't see you before.